0: Good morning, good morning. Go ahead and turn to 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2. We'll start reading in verse 9. i tell you, verse 9 and 10 is where we'll be this morning. I know we've been there for a while, but sometimes I feel a little bad about that. Then I come back around and I'm like, well, what, we're, what are we doing? We're looking at the actual words of God, aren't we? And trying to mine all that they have for us, and Paul's instruction to Timothy was to preach the word, right? And as long as I'm doing that, then we're okay, right? My goal isn't necessarily to get through First Peter. My goal is to give you the word of God. That's my goal. And if that happens, then I think the Lord Jesus is happy. Um, I am trying to get through First Peter, but ultimately my goal is that we all walk away knowing a little bit better about who God is, and about what he expects of us. Um, And and, and I really mean that. I think that there can be a danger, can't there? Especially in our Western context of watching the clock. There can be a danger of wanting to just sort of get through something for the sake of getting through it. Well, that that can't be our approach, can it? We have to just sit here, all of us, including myself, um, under the Lord's teaching, under the Lord's word, and ask the Lord to teach us. And that's what that's what this is. So um, let's read it together. Here's Peter's words to those believers scattered throughout Asia. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. For you once were not a people, but now you are the people of God. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Let's pray. Father, we come to these words again. And Lord, these are words that are straight from your mind and heart through your apostle. We know they bear your own authority. And Lord, ultimately they bear the the weight of your own love. Um, Lord, these terms, these ideas, these identity markers are the things that your saints are to put on, to think about, um, to just consider. And Lord, as we consider these wonderful ideas, these wonderful notions of being a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for your own possession, Lord, that, that this would so just become a part of the fabric of our thinking and being and behavior and speech Lord, that we will walk in a manner worthy of the gospel. Um, Lord, help us even more this morning to, to put these things on, to glory in them, and to, to feel the implication of what they, what they mean. Lord, I just pray for each individual soul in here this morning, you give them everything they need. Um, Lord, for those who are depressed, we pray that you would give them encouragement and perception about who they are in you. For those, Lord, in here who are encouraged, Lord, that they would continue to just sense their need for you and, and yet always be rejoicing at, at, at how you are providing for them and how you are upholding them. Um, and Lord, also, just for those who don't know you in this room, we pray, Father, that you would call them out of darkness into your marvelous light. Lord, only you can do this. And we praise you that you still do. In Jesus' name, Amen. All right, so in weeks past, we've looked at chosen race, royal priesthood, and last week we looked at holy nation. We talked about the fact that Christians are a holy nation, right? So we're not talking about geographic borders, you know, um, nation states in, in our common sense of it. We're talking about a people. We're talking about a people that have been called out of slavery to sin made God's own people, and these people comprise God's holy nation. There is no physical nation on earth that you can say, that's God's nation. Okay, God's nation are comprised of of the elect of God, as Peter says here, the chosen race, made up of his royal priesthood, these people who have access to God and who are royalty. These are the people who comprise God's holy nation made up of Jew and Gentile alike. okay, That's who we are. God's holy nation. It's a wonderful, it's a wonderful idea. This, this, this implies that we're a part of this nation of God that will never end. right? You think about nations that have come and gone, right? But we're a holy nation, and we know that this nation, this kingdom that we're a part of, will never end. An unshakable kingdom, as the writer of Hebrews says. All right, so what's Peter's next identity marker for us? Well, the next identity marker in reality is this next phrase that he uses, a people for God's own possession. Now, I'm not going to spend as much time on this one, and the only reason for that, and maybe it's unfair to some who are visiting, but is because Steve spent so much time on this in the Old Testament text, in in the book of Exodus. He spent so much time, because if you're not familiar with this text, this text is actually quoted from the Old Testament, where God brought Israel out of Egypt and set them apart on Sinai, covenanted with them, and and sort of gave them these descriptors at that time. Well, of course, they failed to live these identity markers out, and we as the church fulfill these things. And we are now the chosen race, the royal priesthood, the holy nation. And we're also a people for God's own possession. So this is a wonderful idea. So just briefly, what, what are we talking about when we're talking about a people for God's own possession? Well, Fundamentally, what we're talking about is the fact that we are the Lord's, right? I mean, as Christians, um, we have been bought with a price, haven't we? We have been purchased. As Ben was talking about this morning, he was talking about the nature of freedom and the reality that freedom does not imply no master anymore, right? Freedom is actually being liberated to be who you are intended to be, right? The world thinks of freedom in terms of doing whatever you want to do, Right. Well, that's, that's not freedom. That can be bondage. Right? But real freedom, in the biblical sense, is being liberated to be who you are intended to be. right? Um, that's, that's real freedom. And so, what we're talking about here is the fact that God now owns us. We are His possession. And the Old Testament talks about the fact that we are His treasured possession. He owns us. But we, And we are precious to him. It's not just mere property he forgets about. We are actually, as the psalmist says, the apple of his eye. The apple of his eye. The very choicest fruit to the Lord. Now again, if you know yourself in Christ, honestly, it's very hard to believe that. <laughs> it's very hard to believe that, isn't it? It's very hard to just, just relish in the fact that God really thinks that way about me that we are the apple of his eye, his treasured possession. But that's exactly what the text says. And so the key here is that we don't just live based on how we feel about ourselves. right? We live based on how the Lord feels about us. And that makes all the difference, doesn't it? It really does. Peter says that we are here fulfilling what Old Old Testament Israel simply pictured. This mass group of individuals, this people, who collectively are the people of God, called out of slavery to serve him. And now God owns us, and God wants us to be fully invested in that reality. What a dignity this affords us, right? What privilege, what what unspeakable privilege to have and to know the living God, or, or better yet, to be known and to be had by the living God. That we are his treasured possession. So no matter what your circumstance, social status, health status, gender status, either male or female, right? There's only two. You are the Lord's if you're in Christ. You are the Lord's if you're in Christ. So again, this, what, what dignity this gives us, right? What dignity? You know, a lot of the early, a lot of the early uh, slaves in early America, one of, the, one of the things that got them through, slavery, was this reality that they had a master who was gracious in heaven. This is what got them through, right? And what's going to get you through life ultimately is just this reality that no matter what your circumstance in life, literally no matter what it is, you are the Lord's. You are the Lord's. You're not this island floating out in an ocean of this world, uncared for, unattended to, and forgotten. You are God's. So, this is just a precious, precious truth. Now, we're going to transition now to what we are to do. So we've been talking about who we are, right? Chosen race, royal priesthood, holy nation, people for God's own possession. But this has certain entailments to it. Okay? Certain entailments to it. Peter says that we are all of these things so that... Right? So that. So that you may proclaim the excellencies of Him. Right? So that we're talking about purpose here. There's an intended purpose in you being a holy nation. There's an intended purpose in you being a a holy royal priesthood, a chosen race. There's a purpose in all of that. It's not just for you to sit back and relish and ponder. I mean, you, you have to, but that's not the final goal here, is it? It's so that. This amazing reality of being owned by the Lord and being members of a holy nation must issue forth in something that Peter calls here proclamation. God brought you to himself for various reasons, but in this world and in the next i would i would say and the next is proclamation this phrase so that points to the goal of all the preceding identity markers the goal and end of you being a chosen race and all these other things is that we all may proclaim his excellencies Now again, I know I said this last week, but I think it's vital, again, because this is how the Bible comes to us, that we understand that identity identity comes before imperative or action. Identity comes before that. In other words, you've got to know who you are before you begin to live how you ought to live. And that's why these identity markers come before the exhortation to to proclaim. In other words, before you ask, what should I do? You must ask, who am I? Right? Who am I? And again, that's why these identity markers are there. Um, And not only that, but the exhortation to proclaim follows not only does it follow our identity, but it's also later grounded in what God has done. If you, if you look at that, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. For once you were not a people, but now you're the people of God. So, so this, this exhortation to proclaim is sort of sandwiched between who you are in God and what God has done for you. So my point is, is that if you're going to be effective evangelists, if you're going to be effective people that open your mouth to speak of the Lord, it's going to be because you are firmly acquainted with who you are and what God has done for you. It's right in the middle of that. You notice that, don't you? He grounds them both. Your identity is a holy people so that you may proclaim, for after all, you were once not a people. You see, that's the the idea Christianity is not merely about, you know, number one, go tell everybody about God. Number two, you know, treat your wife well. Number three, you know, it's not this list. It's know what God has done for you. Know who you are in Jesus Christ. Know that you are a transformed people. His power has been operative in your life if you're in Christ. Therefore, now you've got something to sing about. I mean, the, the, the uh, psalm that David ha- Dave had up here, Psalm 105, I think it was, Tell of all of His wonders. right? The people of God, if we're anything, we are people that declare the praises of our King. Aren't we? We must be. We're people that open our mouths and we speak about His goodness and grace and glory. God has had mercy on us. He's made us these things. These truths, when they are appreciated, will issue forth in praise. But if these things are unappreciated, right? if these things are not important, if these things are marginalized, if these things mean nothing to you, if me telling you you're a chosen race, a holy nation, a royal priesthood, God has called you out of darkness, if this doesn't do anything to you, yeah, that's right, it's not going to issue forth in any praise. It's not going to issue forth in saying anything. Right? You're not going to go talking to people because frankly you're more interested in gaming or maybe you're more interested in sports. Maybe you're more interested in crypto. right? These are the things that really make you sing. These are the things that really make you talk and praise. right? But not so for us who are fully grip, grasping the fact of what God has done for us. Right? I'm not saying you can't ever talk about those things. But my point is, after you've talked about that, right, Can people tell who your first love really is? Can they tell? Or is it only all of these other peripheral things? Someone said yesterday, as as, uh, just listening to something, listening to a talk, he said, God is in the business of killing your gods. I like that. God is in the business of killing your gods. He will not have any gods before him. And if God is our God, alone, and we see him for all he is, we see him for who he's made us to be, we see the darkness we were in, and we see the fact that he's pulled us out of it, we're going to be speaking of that God, aren't we? We've been set apart and shown mercy. I think on these things, and this praise will begin to flow. I was thinking about something with regard to identity and how that affects behavior. You know, most of you guys know that um, Joan and I run Solid Construction. It's a local remodeling company, and we have vehicles that we give to certain guys, and uh, and on these vehicles we have logos. Right, and these logos are, um, say our company and some things about what we do. And it's interesting, I used to drive a company vehicle with a logo on it. And every now and then you're driving down the road, right? I'm driving in the van with a logo on the side. And, <clears throat> I don't know, somebody's being a turkey in traffic or something, and I'm tempted to sort of, you know. And I wouldn't do that even if I wasn't driving the van. But I'm tempted, you know, you're tempted to. But, but you know, when, it, when I remember the fact that I'm here representing somebody else, representing this company, it adds an extra incentive to not, you know, cut the guy off. It affects things. When, when, you, when you realize who you represent, it really affects your behavior, doesn't it? You know, when you reflect on the fact that you're a royal priesthood, your depression about about whatever in your life, or or God doesn't want me or love me or all this. That kind of goes away when you realize, wait a minute, I'm a priest. I can walk right up to him and call on his name. I have access into the Holy of Holies because of Jesus. Or you begin to think that you're sort of put on the shelf in your life, and then you realize, wait a minute, I'm a part of a holy nation. I'm a part of an eternal kingdom. Identity matters. Identity matters. Thinking on who you are and who God has made you to be represent, and, and, and who you represent, it affects the way you live. It's not merely about law. It's not less than commandments, but those commandments are lived out as you understand who you are. Right. I'm not going to want to run a red light in the solid construction van, right? Because, I mean, that wouldn't look good, right? If I get pulled over by a cop and people are passing me <laughs> and they're all seeing the solid construction van, you know, pulled over on the side of the road. Well, that doesn't bode very well for the company. It's very similar to that, isn't it? In the Christian life. Very similar to that. All right. So your purpose of who God has made you to be is to proclaim. Now, he says here, before we get to this term, proclaim, he says, so that you may proclaim. It's in the plural. You, all of you, may proclaim the excellencies of him. This isn't just for elders. This isn't just for pastors. This is not just for deacons. This isn't just for evangelists. Right? Prophets. This is for you. This is for all of you and me together. You holy nation, you royal priesthood, every born again believer, this is for you. I really want you to believe that. I really want you to know that. And part of the reason is because there actually is some teaching even in evangelical circles that minimize the responsibility and the privilege of individual believers to verbally proclaim the gospel. And I don't know, some of you may remember that article that I, that I brought out a couple years ago where the person was basically arguing that the reason you don't see more imperative in, in the epistles for individual believers to be proclaiming the word and proclaiming the Lord is because, well, some, most of them are just to be servants, you know, serv- be hospitable. You know, they're just to be opening their homes, doing those servant-type things, not those verbal-type things. And I'm sitting here thinking, I mean, if you're in Jesus Christ... You've been brought out of darkness and you've got something to say. And Peter says that, doesn't he? Peter's clear. This is for you all. This is for you all. Proclamation of God's praises and excellencies is not bound up with a certain gifting of evangelism or certain teaching roles in the church. It is the expected and natural outflow of being a member of God's chosen race. So if this is true for you, the expectation and purpose of your life is to proclaim Him. And again, maybe it won't be up here. Maybe it won't even be in the open air, but it will happen. Right? It will happen. It must happen. This is the one of the fundamental purposes of your existence, is to praise your God, to exclaim His goodness to Him, to us, and to all people. And what you're going to see this morning is when I say that the purpose of you is to proclaim God's excellencies, it has the component of evangelism in it. It does, it does, it does, it does. But not just that. It has to do with worshiping God. It has to do with proclaiming His goodness to the brethren. It just has to do with this, it's kind of like the mouth is just the last step and you're glorying in Him. You know, it's just, what He's done, I just want to tell you about it. And that's, you're going to find some texts that we're going to read this morning that are going to to show you that this is actually, in some ways, the end for which you were born again. God says, the people whom I formed to declare my praise. Think of that. The people whom I formed to declare my praise. We'll look a little bit at that in a minute. So this is for all of us. You know, nobody's off the hook. We're all on the hook. But it's a great hook. It's not a bad hook. All right, so the term proclaim, what are, we, what are we talking about here? It's important to define these terms, right? Because people get cute with the Bible and they come up with cliches all the time that need to be kind of put to bed. All right? And I'll tell you about one in a second. Proclaim. So the idea here, the word is "ekangelos." Ek- and it means to tell out, proclaim abroad, to publish completely. That's what the word means. It comes from angelo, which means what has to do with messenger or proclaim. And the ASV, it's rendered show forth. Display is the idea. <laughs> Display. We're billboards. Kind of the idea. Complete Proclamation. So what are we talking about? In particular here, we're talking about the publishing and the declaring, the proclamation that we do with our mouths. Verbal pronouncements. The word is so clear that it has to do with what we say. It's just so clear. Isn't that an amazing thing that God has made you with mouths? Mouths. I don't think it's primary I mean it's it's so you can eat. We're we're glad for that, right? But it's not only so you can eat. God made you with a mouth. You know he has a mouth, so to speak. Right. Analogous to our own. And he's a speaking God, isn't he? Is he a speaking God? Kids, how did God make the world? He spoke it into being, that's right. He spoke it into being. And we're made in his image. And we speak too. And these mouths that he's given us are for him, right? They're for him. You know, when when certain children don't say things that they ought to, my wife and I say, God didn't give you a mouth to talk like that, right? He's given us a mouth. It's an amazing thing. You don't think about it every day, but he did. God reveals his mind and heart and will through speaking, and we do too. We are made in his image. Now, this idea of proclamation has a a rich sort of biblical theme, or uh, uh, biblical history, biblical content to it. Let's just look at some of them together. And you can just listen on. In Leviticus 23, as the Lord is setting apart certain convocations in the Old Testament, he says they are to be proclaimed. In other words, there are certain times for washings, certain times for festivals, certain times for sacrifices, those kinds of things. And God tells Moses and the priests that they must proclaim these particular times. It's important that you get those times right. Right. So let me give you one example here regarding the year of Jubilee. Leviticus 25.10. You shall thus consecrate the 50th year and proclaim a release through the land to all its inhabitants. It shall be a jubilee for you and each of you shall return to his own property and each of you shall return to his family. So think of it. You know, as a husband, you fell on hard times, you got no money, you have to sell yourself into slavery. It happened. Happens today, actually. Now, if you can wait for 50 years, if you can wait for 50, see, if you don't have the amount to pay back, if you can't work yourself out of that debt, you've got to wait. You've got to wait. And can you imagine, if you're young, maybe you've got some hope. If you're 30, and you're waiting until you're 80, can you imagine being in slavery for that long? And then all of a sudden, that 50th year hits, and there's this proclamation that goes out Debtors are free. You can go home. Can you imagine that? Would you even know what to do with yourself? But this is what we're talking about. This this whole idea of proclamation is, is bound up in the Old Testament with the release of captives, the release of slaves. Now, certainly, it's, it's hard not to immediately go into the gospel, isn't it? Isn't this what we preach? We preach liberty, right? True freedom from real slavery. And an even more incredible message. You get to be a part. You get to go home. Yeah, but it's home to the family of God, isn't it? Not your physical family. But that's that's this idea, this proclamation of release. That's what we're talking about when we when we share the, the excellencies of God, we're proclaiming a release. Psalm twenty six seven. Lots of lots and lots of content about proclamation in the Psalms. So Psalm twenty six seven. Just listen carefully, because I know I'm gonna give some, a lot of scripture, but I want you to listen to them. And the Psalms are there for our instruction, aren't they? Right? They're, they're there for our instruction, so let's be instructed. Psalm 26.7, And I will go about your altar, David says, that I may proclaim with the voice of thanksgiving and declare all your wonders. Now, let me turn back here real quick to Psalm, Psalm 26 real quick so that you can kind of understand a little bit of the context here. David has been saying that he doesn't sit with deceitful men, right? He, he, doesn't, he doesn't make the world his best friends. <laughs> he doesn't go on with pretenders, those hypocrites. He says he hates the assembly of the evildoers and will not sit with the wicked. right? I mean, it can start to feel like a lonely life, frankly. You know, Especially the more the world you know and the darker you know it is, the, the saint, the Christian, can start to feel more and more alone. Especially if you're at a workplace where there's actually no believers. Um, That's a tough spot to be in. But David says, that may be the case, but I'm not going to yoke up with these. David says, verse 6, I shall wash my hands in innocence, and I will go about your altar, O Lord, that I may proclaim with the voice of thanksgiving and declare all your wonders. O Lord, I love the habitation of your house and the place where your glory dwells. Now, in David's day, the tabernacle was that place where God met with human beings, right? This is the place where sacrifices were made. When David looks at that tent, he's thinking the presence of God, right? He's thinking about the place where the mercy of God is meted out to the nation, the places where sacrifices are made and God's forgiveness comes and that kind of thing. And and this is what David is thinking of. David is thinking about God's presence at the tabernacle, his holy house. And David says here that he goes about the altar of the Lord that I may proclaim with the voice of thanksgiving and declare all your wonders. Well, who is David declaring to? At least in this instance, I think it's to the Lord. I think he's there worshiping the Lord, declaring back to the Lord just thanksgiving. Lord, thank you. Thank you for bringing forgiveness to me. Thank you thank you for being my God. And I'll tell of all your wonders. Lord, you've set me apart, even from my mother's womb. You've made me this king. You've given me this kingdom. You've given me yourself. He's declaring back to the Lord. So the declaration that, we, that, we, that issues forth from the mouth of a, of a saved sinner is not only to the unbeliever for the sake of conversion, right? No, I mean, it, it, in some ways, firstly, it's verbally, Lord, thank you for who you are, for what you've done. I think about the fact that I had to kill this animal because of my own sin. Thank you. For imputing righteousness to me based on faith in you and what this represents. Right? All, all of that. This is just a declaration to the Lord. Do you worship the Lord? Do you talk to Him? Do you talk to the Lord? Do you thank Him? Psalm 68:11. It's one for the ladies. Psalm 6811. The Lord gives the command. The women who proclaim the glad tidings are a great host. Now in Psalm 68, what you probably have in Psalm 68 is a processional psalm celebrating the long-awaited installment of the Ark, making it to Jerusalem. Right? This has sort of been the goal from Sinai. Think about it. We're going to wander. We're going to finally come into the Promised Land. Well, that Promised Land, at least historically speaking, was Jerusalem, right? This was, this was the city of God. This was the, the capital. This was the place where God was going to dwell, the place where he said, I will set my heart there. It's where the temple will be built. It's where the ark will come. And it wasn't without a lot of obstacles, right? A lot of enemies along the way. But as the ark makes its way now to Jerusalem, finally under the reign of David, it signals victory over so many foes that kept this from happening over the years. And now, Israel is victorious. God's presence will now be sort of seated and settled in Jerusalem. Therefore, in Psalm 68, anyway, it's a victorious day. You read that psalm. It's a wonderful psalm. I mean, it's a psalm where you can just hear the timbre on the lyre and the clapping and the worship That's what you you feel, because you have this sense that here's God's presence coming into his capital, represented by the ark. Man, just what an incredible... Talking about promises fulfilled. Here it is. Time of great joy. Jerusalem will be the most powerful kingdom on earth, because God is their God now. And with that in view, the psalmist writes, the Lord gives the command... And the woman who proclaimed the good news are a great host. So it's like these women are commissioned with this wonderful news of the victory of God. You remember as David went out and, and killed his tens of thousands and he comes back in to the city and there's the festival and the, the, the marching and the dancing in the street and the women are singing, David has killed his ten thousands and Saul his thousands, right? But the reality is that the women have a role to play in the worship and the declaration of the victory of God. But in the psalm, it's interesting because it says the Lord has given the command. It's like, and what is the command? Well, the command is the good tidings. It's the, go proclaim this victory. And he says, greater the host of the women who proclaim the good tidings. The women are overjoyed to take this news of victory to all they encounter, friend or enemy of the king. The women know that this is a command, but what a privilege to proclaim it. So ladies, God is you in mind when he thinks of the mission of the gospel. Whoever you are, if you're in Christ, young lady or older, wherever you are, meditate on the victory of God in Jesus over sin, Satan, and death. This is God's victory. And proclaim that glorious news. It's a command, but it's the most Incredible news there is. It's the glad tidings. It's the news that brings gladness. Right? That's that's what we're talking about here. That's why we do renewal center, right? With Miracle Hill. Right? That's why we do it. Why? Well because this text was in my mind when we did renewal. You know, the the ladies shelter there with the ladies that were trying to get their life straightened out with the Lord. This text was in my mind. This, here's our ladies. They go and they proclaim the glad tidings of God to these other ladies who need the gospel. Psalm 71, 11. Now I want you to listen closely at how much the mouth is engaged here connected to what God has done to David's enemies. I want you to notice that. Okay, Just listen. Psalm 71:11 For my enemies have spoken against me, and those who watch for my life have consulted together, saying, God has forsaken him. Pursue and seize him, for there is none to deliver. And now the prayer. O oh God, do not be far from me. O oh my God, hasten to my help. Let those who are adversaries of my soul be ashamed and consumed. Let them be covered with reproach and dishonor who seek to injure me. But as for me, I will hope continually and will praise you yet more and more. Now this is faith, isn't it? This is faith. I mean, again, I don't know when the last time you've been hunted is. Targeted. Pursued even. Marked. You know, the reality is if you're a Christian, you will be at some point. Sometime, right? To some degree. Because you're telling people, oftentimes things they don't want to hear. They don't want to hear that they're a sinner. They don't want to hear about God's judgment. right? And sometimes if you say those things and you live a righteous life and you're telling people about this news and you've got to talk about the bad news before you can talk about the good news, you're going to have enemies. And so what happens when that... What do you do when that happens? Well, as the psalmist here does, he goes to the Lord and he says, Lord, you see, that you see what's going on here. And it's almost like his strength is being restored to him, and he says, You know what? I'm going to praise you more and more. Because he knows the Lord has this. He says, My mouth shall tell of your righteousness and your salvation all day long. They will not shut me up. My enemies want to, they want me to feel that God has departed from me. But the psalmist says, No, I trust in you. You've given me a mission, you've told me to speak. You've set me apart. I'm a holy nation, I'm part of a holy nation. I'm a royal priest. My mouth shall tell of your righteousness and of your salvation all day long, for I do not know the sum of them. All of these things, these wonderful deeds of the Lord. He says, I will come with the mighty deeds of the Lord God. I will make mention of your righteousness, yours alone. Oh God, you have taught me from my youth, and I still declare your wondrous deeds. And even when I am old and gray, O oh God, do not forsake me until I declare your strength to this generation, from old to young. We open our mouths to proclaim his name. This is what the psalmist is teaching us. Oh, we got something to say. We got something to declare. What are we doing when we proclaim? We're overcoming the enemy, aren't we? He wants to shut us up, make no bones about it. The whole, the whole angle of this world of television and everything on there, and, or at least so many things on there, and, and the, even the social justice movement, and all of this stuff is to get you to shut your mouth about the goodness and the glory of the gospel. All of it. Have this resolve of this psalmist. I'm going to go speaking about your praises even more. I'm going to declare it to this generation until I'm old and gray. Man, may the Lord do that in us. We must perpetuate God's truth to the next generation. This is why we train our kids in Scripture, this is why we have youth gatherings. It's His power that we're proclaiming to people. People need to hear of God's power, don't they? They need to hear it. Let me tell you about a God who can break the chains of sin in your life. They have no source of power, all of their self help is helpless. We declare His power. His strength. His strength. That's what we proclaim. His strength to every person. Man, what a psalm. Psalm 73, 28. Again, the psalmist here feeling abandoned by God. You know the passage in Psalm 73. What an incredible psalm. He sees the prospering of the wicked and he's thinking, gosh, they got it good, I don't got it good. And then he realizes, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. All the wicked, they're going to perish. They're going to stand before God one day in judgment. They don't have it good. And you know, having that position, being a Christian where you know that like I was saying earlier, I mean, so many of the psalms are about this where you just feel alone. The psalmist instructs you in that feeling of desolation and aloneness. It, it it meets you there. And it shows you how other people got out of it. And how did this guy get out of it? Well, listen to what he says. As for me, the nearness of God is my good. You know, I see the folks with with the really, really nice houses, and the really nice cars, and, the, and, and, and just, they're living this lifestyle, and, and it's all devoid of God, and, 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 and yet they seem so happy, and they don't have the troubles that I do, and, and this and that, and so what's his resolve? He says, the nearness of God is my good. The nearness of God is my good. This is my treasure. I've been such an idiot, how could I not remember that? But it's true, we we forget it all the time. But he says, it's the nearness of God is my good. I have made the Lord God my refuge, that I may tell of all your works. If everything else is taken from him, if his world is crumbling, the Lord's nearness is his good. The psalmist says, he has made the Lord God his refuge. Did you hear that? But as for me... The nearness of God is my good. I have made the Lord God my refuge. Well, that sounds very free willy, right? Who cares about that? I have made the Lord God my refuge. That's what he says. I've done this. I've grabbed a hold of the Lord. He's become my refuge. I've experienced what it is to be secure and comforted by God. In faith, this psalmist grabs a hold of the Lord, makes him his refuge. Why or to what end that he may tell of the works of God? This experience of having God as a refuge issues forth in speaking of his wonderful works. Do you have any stories to tell of God's protection, provision, comfort? If not, it's because you haven't made him your refuge. You don't know what that is. Do you know what that is? Do you know what it is for God to be your shelter? To hide your soul in the Lord. When so many things are crashing down, when the pressures on your soul are unrelenting, do you know what it is to have God as your refuge? The psalmist had to fight for, to get there, right? He, that psalm, psalm 73 is messy. He even says, I was like a beast before you when I was not thinking rightly about the prosperity of the wicked and, and my own lot. But he comes around and he says, Wait a minute, I'm making the Lord my refuge. The nearness of God is my good. Oh man, now he sees clearly. Wait a minute, wait a minute. All this stuff out here. While we can use it for good, and while we can even enjoy it. They're not, they're, that's not the stuff of life, is it? God shows us that in Job. God can take it all away. And Job is still the wealthiest man on the planet. Why? Because God is his God. Do you believe that? Or is that just pie in the sky? Or is that just hyperbole? You'll know it's not hyperbole when you've actually made the Lord God your refuge. Then you'll see, wait will wait. I don't need anything else. I've got him. I'm full in him. I'm complete in him. The whole point of the book of Colossians, or at least a primary point, is that Jesus is all you need. He's yours. And what happens when, when you've made God, ref- God your refuge? Your sanity is restored, and you open your mouth. And you begin to tell people about your refuge. When God isn't your refuge, and you're clamoring and you're anxious about everything else, everybody else is your mouth is shut. Or when it opens, it's all about fear, right? Or it's all about you, right? Not him. All right, Isaiah forty-three twenty-one. This is what I said earlier at the beginning. Psalm Isaiah forty-three is a wonderful passage. It's a passage about God saying, I'll be with you in all the trials of life. I redeemed you, you are mine, and I love you. He actually says that. I redeemed you, you're mine, and I love you. (laughs) Isaiah 43, 21. You can meditate on this one and do well. It's short. The people I have formed for myself will declare my praise. The people I have formed for myself will declare my praise. This could be actually... An illusion, an echo, something like that—that that Peter has in his mind in First Peter two nine. It's so close. The people I have formed for myself will declare my praise. The declare, the declaration aspect, this proclamation. And this verse truly captures Peter's intention in 1 Peter two nine. God has formed us. Let's get the get the sequence right. God has formed us. He's made us. He's shaped us. Right. He shamed, He shapes little babies in the womb, doesn't he? that's what he does but he also shapes human beings into Christians he forms us forms us in the womb he forms us a second time if we know him it's called what? the new birth he forms us and he forms us for himself so he gives us new birth and this new birth is for him now we are his possession Why? So we'll declare his praise. One of the primary reasons that you were born again was to praise the Lord. (laughs) They will declare my praise. Praising him in some ways completes the work of God in a sense. In Ephesians 1, where Paul is, is telling you about the glories of the gospel that began in eternity past and go on into eternity future, centered in the person of his Son, secured by the blood of his Son. It's all for what? You know, what is it? To the praise of the glory of his grace. It's all to the praise of the glory of his grace. It's a win-win situation, right? God deserves that praise, that glory. We're not God. <laughs> you know, some people think, well, you know, why does God need to be praised so much? Does he have an identity complex? No. No. He's God. He's the living God. He's worthy of worship. We are dust. We are clay. We are dependent, contingent beings. And yet. He's taken dust, and He has dignified that dust to an amazing, immortal, in some ways, I don't want to say infinite, but eternal value. If you're in Jesus Christ. And now we are privileged to be able to turn back to Him and say, thank you, we glory in you, we see you for who you are. The reality is, the reality is, if you see God for who He is, it's just a natural response, right? And we're going to talk a little bit more about that in a second. But the people who I form for myself will declare my praise. We're going to be a speaking people. We're going to be a people who declare God's praises. Luke 4.18. Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Here's the Lord Jesus. Lord Jesus steps on the scene and he comes preaching about the kingdom of God. And he walks into a synagogue, and there's some rabbis speaking. And then it's his turn. He grabs the scroll. He turns to Isaiah sixty-one, and he quotes it: Luke four eighteen. The spirit of the Lord is upon me, because He has appointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim, release to the captives, and recovery of sight to the blind, to set free those who are oppressed, and to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. So there it is: preach, proclaim. Proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. Now you don't, you don't hear a little echo of the release of debt that we read back in Leviticus 25 to you, the year of Jubilee. Of course you do. Jesus is saying that year of Jubilee, of debts being relieved and paid and liberty being exacted for these debtors, well those are all things pointing to me and the ultimate liberty I will bring. Through my death and resurrection. And now I'm here to proclaim that liberty, that release of captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set free those who are oppressed. Jesus has come to proclaim this freedom from oppression. And that's real oppression, not just human oppression. Because you can be humanly oppressed and still be free. Satanic oppression, oppression from sin. That's what Jesus comes to set free from. And then ultimately in the day of glory in the new heavens and new earth well you're set free from all worldly human oppressors. But you can be relieved of that even now even while still being under their jurisdiction. But we're here to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. When Jesus came into history history changed. It's the favorable year of the Lord now. Every day is today. Right? Today if you hear his voice. Don't harden your hearts. Every day is today. Today is salvation, right? Well, how do we know? Well, because it's not the new heavens, new earth yet. We're in the favorable year of the Lord. The time where men and women and boys and girls can be saved. And this is why Jesus came. He said, I come preaching. This is my ministry. Miracles accompany my preaching. Miracles are not the main feature of my preaching. Miracles accompany and point to who I am. But my main mis- mission is to preach the gospel. And we take this on now too, don't we? Peter tells us, now you go proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into your marvelous sight. Now some of you have heard that cliche, preach the gospel at all times and when necessary use words. And I'm here to tell you that that's ridiculous based in the New Testament. In the New Testament, the people of God open their mouths and they declare his Praise. And they declare the liberty that he offers through the gospel. And the gospel has certain content, right? Certain content that people must know. As Paul says, how will they believe unless they hear? Hear what? What we say about the gospel. It seems so obvious, but it's not. Because people like to get cute. And they don't really like to speak. Because it's scary. Sometimes it is scary, isn't it? What do you do when it's scary? You wait, wait, wait a minute. This is what you do. You say, wait a minute. I'm, I'm a priest of the living God. I'm part of a holy nation. I'm part of the elect race of God. I'm God's own possession. The scriptures tell me that I'm also righteous. And the righteous are as bold as a lion. That's what you do. You work yourself up in realizing who you are, what authority you have, and then you Proclaim. But we speak. Now, I'm not minimizing actions, okay? I'm not minimizing good works. Jesus says your good works can be of such a quality that men will glorify your Father in heaven. But let me just explain something here. Nobody's been saved by just looking at someone's nice deeds. Now, they can move into discussions about why you do nice deeds. And you should do that. If you help somebody, if you stop to help somebody change a tire, help them change a tire and then turn around and say, you know... 20 years ago, before I was a Christian, I would never have done this. But Christ saved me, and I really wanted to stop and just do a small thing because Jesus, Jesus changed me. Something simple like that, right? But what is that? That's proclaiming. right? That's talking about Him. We want to point to Him. We don't want to point to how nice we are. We don't want people going around and being like, man, just a great guy. I mean, that's not necessarily bad, but it can't stay there. They have to know why we're nice. They have to know why we're loving. They have to know why when they lash out at us, we don't lash back. They've got to know why. Don't they have to know why? Jesus went around proclaiming. We must go around proclaiming. Are we following Jesus? What does that mean? What well, means we pattern our lives after Jesus? What did he do? He proclaimed. What do we do? We proclaim. That's what we do. It's fundamental. It's fundamental. So, the idea of proclamation here is it has an obedience component to it, right? It has a response of praise component to it. It has this sense that we're proclaiming liberty. It has a sense of solemnity about it. Joy, privilege. This is what we're talking about. Fundamentally, God... Has so pulled us out of sin. He's done such a work in us so that we might praise him before men in every way and before God. Listen to David's listen to David's prayer and then we'll we'll wrap up. Most of you are familiar with David's grievous sin in his life with Bathsheba and Psalm 51 is sort of the record of David's prayer of getting right with the Lord such a such an amazing Psalm really is so many things in it but, but just remember that Psalms are instructive we get to feel for David and we get to just kind of go along with him and And see how he sort of regains joy to a degree. But that psalm is for you and me. Never forget that. That psalm is for you and me. So, listen to David's prayer. Restore restore to me, talking to the Lord, the joy of your salvation, and sustain me with a willing spirit, then I will teach transgressors your ways. See how that goes together? We've been talking about who God is, what he's done, remembering those things, and issuing forth from that issues forth in declaration, proclamation, right? Here David says, you restore to me the joy of my salvation and give me a willing spirit, I'll teach transgressors your ways. And sinners will be converted to you, he says. Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God, the God of my salvation. Then my tongue will joyfully sing of your righteousness. Now that's to the Lord, or to whoever's listening. (laughs) You see what's going on here. If you walk around in guilt, you will not be singing. (laughs) You will certainly not be teaching and, and preaching to transgressors. Listen, then my tongue will joyfully sing of your righteousness, O Lord, open my lips, that my mouth may declare your praise. There it is. So clear. We want God's praise to just be the natural outworking of our just relishing in his forgiveness and his reconciliation that he's accomplished in the gospel. David here saying, Loosen my tongue. I want to sing again. And for those of you who are living in real guilt this morning, those of you who are in Christ, I just want to tell you to look at the cross. Look at the cross. Ben's been talking about the book, of in the book of Galatians, the problem there with the Judaizers coming in and imposing the law of Moses on the church. And now they're thinking, well, maybe I need circumcision. Maybe I need a little Sabbath in my life. Maybe I need some dietary laws. You know, I mean, that couldn't hurt. And he's like, well, listen now. You go back under the law, you go back under all the law. And he says, walk by the Spirit. Well, it's like, well, wait a minute. Hey, how do you do that? Paul tells them, hearing with faith. What do you listen to? Well, you listen to the anguish that comes from the cross. You listen to to the words of the New Testament writers when they describe what the Lord Jesus himself went through and why he did it. And as you listen to these things, and you listen to what he's done for you, and you listen to what you deserved, and yet what you do not get because of mercy, well, this just so changes you. It just so transforms your thinking and your heart set and frees you up in your own soul to now you want to go tell others. That's how you do it. You don't do it by saying, Well, today I've got to proclaim to at least, I don't know, three people. I mean, if you want to do that, that's fine. Set goals. But ultimately, it comes by hearing with faith. You put that cross in front of your eyes. And as you read the Bible, the content and the, the, imp- the implications of the cross become more and more just bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. And the mystery of it in some sense gets bigger and bigger and bigger. <laughs> and consequently, the glory of it gets bigger and bigger and bigger. And you realize you're caught up in a grand story. And when that is sort of ruminating well in you, then you're better suited. And brethren, there's no easy way there. We all live lives where we have to work, deal with family, relationships, those kinds of things. But just as the psalmist said, I have made the Lord God my refuge, you have to make the Lord God your refuge on a regular basis. You you have to choose wisely. You have to say no to things in order to keep this heart set. You have to. It takes real effort. Turn the TV off. Now sometimes I understand you're so brain dead. It's like, you know, watching something funny or watching something beautiful on nature. You know, some of that stuff's fine. But what I'm saying is, if it it takes the place of your time to get alone with the Lord, to make Him your refuge well, then you just need to get rid of it. To be honest with you, Paige and I are continually thinking about throwing away our TVs. I don't know about you guys, but we we, we struggle with it, you know? Not because watching TV is wrong, but because it's like, man, we only have so much time. You know? You only have so much time. So it's a matter of prayer, isn't it? I mean, everybody's different. But fundamentally, we all have to have that same heart. That same heart where we say, I need to get with you, right? I need to get with you. I need to make you my refuge. I need to be able to tell others the nearness of God is my good, right? I need to be able to tell others that. So let's help each other in that. And as we do that, what you're going to find is we're going to to just become more and more evangelistic church. Not because we're the evangelistic church, but because we glory in God. Right? But because we know who we are. We know we're very acquainted with this glorious gospel. And when we're really acquainted with this glorious gospel, then, man, we want to tell people. That's just the natural flow. That's the natural outworking of things. Now, we do have a command to go. I don't want to lessen that. That's there. Jesus said that. King Jesus told you to be proactive in evangelism. That's what go means. Go doesn't mean wait wait. Go means go. Go means be intentional, be proactive. But that can be overwhelming at first until you remember, okay, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Who is he? Who am I? What has he done? He'll even be with you when you open your mouth. Isn't that wonderful? He's with you every step of the way. When you're nervous and you don't want to open your mouth, he said, I'll be with you always, right? I'll be there the whole time. And he's not a liar. Satan will tell you he's a liar. He's not a liar. All right, I'm done. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. As always, Lord, we just, we want to live it out. And Lord, we just thank you that you promise strength to your people as they seek you. Lord, help us as brothers and sisters to make good choices. Um, Lord, we thank you for certain things, even like technology. But Lord, we just pray you'd ever keep it from being an an encumbering weight. Um, Lord, I can watch certain things and just glory in your creation and glory in what you've done in the world. But Lord, sometimes I know it just gets in the way. Lord, help us to make good choices. Um, Lord, we certainly don't want to go the way of rules that you don't state explicitly in your word, Lord, but we do want to be people who, I don't know, Lord, choose the good part. We do want to be people who are more fascinated with you than we are with anything else. And that's just the truth, Lord. Please, whatever it takes to get us there, please get us there for those who are in a rut this morning who perhaps want the things that have been spoken but just hard for them to fathom how to get there. um, Lord God, I just pray that that you would do what only you can do. Only you can reach into the heart and reveal who you are and reveal just how far they've strayed. And Lord, sometimes that's real embarrassing. Well, it is. When you discipline us, it's usually always embarrassing. But it's also good because we know who we are. Um, Lord, but if you're disciplining someone this morning, I just pray that they would not faint under your discipline. They'd know that it comes from a father who has just such an an immense amount of love. Lord, it's, it's those whom you love you discipline. And so, Lord, I pray that they would grasp it, process it, and move on with you in faith from it. Lord, this morning for those in here who do not know you, I pray, Lord, that they would see, maybe for the first time, the glory of what you've done in the cross. That's where you bring forgiveness to sinners like us. Sinners like Paul, who was involved in the murdering of Christians. Lord Jesus, you were murdered for murderers. (laughs) There's no sin so big that you can't forgive it. Thank you for that. Lord, we just praise you for that. And Lord, just teach us more and more what it is to just be people who praise you, who sing for joy, who go throughout our days declaring your praises to you and to others. Lord, that people would see the joy we have, that people would see the confidence and faith and the stability we have because we know you. Um, Lord, just pray that you would please do all these things in us. Um, We know these prayers are not in vain through Jesus Christ. Amen.